title of this morning's message is physical evidence. Physical evidence in John 14, 11 says this, believe me. Everybody say, believe me. I want you to believe him, especially when it's in red letters. Don't just read it. Believe him. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus this morning, I thank you for physical evidence that you were here this morning in this place during this message, during this worship, that people's lives are transformed, that they leave here changed and completely different. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You can be seated this morning. As we talk about physical evidence this morning, I've mentioned it all through worship. I'm going to mention it all through this service. And the video clip that you saw this morning, the whole case was contingent on one stray bullet one stray bullet solved the whole case that they were dealing with this morning and we're going to teach you how when you get into the word of God to jump in there you are going to be able to look at the word of God and really be able to pull out the physical evidence that not just Jesus Christ was here but that he really existed really did what he said he did and be able to prove it out and not just say because the Bible said so can I get an amen and we want to see God move powerfully in your life this morning. And so as we kick this morning's message off, we got to begin to understand that um, each crime scene may well generate other questions to be answered by the CSI. And the list above, which is on my paper, not yours, uh, begins to uh, talk about those things. So when a CSI walks on the scene, he begins to look for a whole myriad of things. And as he begins to see the obvious, he can see where the gun shooting took place. He can find the bullet casing on the ground. He can see the, the blood splatter and the direction it's going. And he can begin to solve a whole crime by simply looking at the physical evidence that's before him, even though he did not physically witness the crime himself. Our job as a believer is to be able to physically declare and know beyond a shadow of a doubt and prove it out that Jesus Christ is alive and alive forevermore and he's seated on the throne with the, as the King of kings and Lord of lords and not just to say it but to know it and definitively prove it even though we weren't walking the earth with him while he was here. Can I get an amen? See, if you learn to do this, it'll answer all your theological questions and it'll crush every theological debate that you go into. Amen? And the biggest problem we know about that believers has is when somebody asks you a question and you do not know how to properly, I don't want to use the term defend because God can defend himself, but play out the scriptures and lay them out in front of people to declare there is physical evidence. <laughs> That my King of Kings and Lord of Lords truly was on this earth. And that's what we're going to jump into this morning. And so what do we know from the Christ scene, not crime scene, Christ scene that we've talked about the past couple weeks. Number one is what is the scene? The scene is the word of God, the whole word of God, the complete word of God. This is the scene we're working with just on a crime scene as they mark it off with crime scene tape such as you see here. That means that is the entirety of the crime scene. That's the scene that they're working with. The word of God is our scene that we're working with and then what was the sin or what was the crime the sin was actually happened in the garden of eden and the sin didn't happen just because of the crime scene the sin happened in our mind which created the whole scene of why the bible is written okay and the word of god it's written with one purpose in mind one motive in mind the word of god is written as a purpose for redemption to lead a lost and dying people back to god the father so if you're wondering why the bible doesn't say certain things about certain things the bible is not an all-encompassing history book can i get an amen the Bible is written with a motive, a plan, and a purpose, and it's to show God's love for you, bring God's love to you, and make sure God loves bring you back home to be in a place with him forevermore. Amen? So God wrote this whole book just for you to prove his love to you. 
And he did better than just saying, I wrote it in the heavens. He wrote it physically here in this earth. Every word is God-breathed and God-inspired, amen? And so you got a physical copy here in this earth of the love of God for your life. But the whole scene, we need to begin to break down. And so as we jump into this, where do we go from here? We've talked about a bunch of things the past two weeks, and some of you guys have left services looking like your brain was scrambled eggs at times. (laughs) And you're just kind of shaking your head and saying, I don't even know where to take this from. Where do we go from here? As we begin to talk about these things and unwrap these things, I'm going to begin to show you where to go from here today. So as we first begin to do this, if we're going to realize that there is physical evidence in the Word of God, we must begin to do certain steps. And there's three, thir- three certain steps you need to begin to write down this morning. Say, I'm going to write it down. Pull out your iPhone, pull up the notepad, just start Facebooking popular things that I say. Begin to write it down. I don't care. You need to start putting pen and paper to what you hear so you'll begin to remember it. Amen? Ask any teacher. If you don't take notes in class, you more than likely ain't going to pass the class. So come on. So, uh, uh, So begin to take some notes. Begin to write down what I'm about to tell you. Number one, as we begin to evaluate and gather physical evidence, evidence itself, the fundamental proof, All evidence starts with the Word of God. It all starts with the Word of God. Not our thoughts on the Word of God. It starts with the Word of God itself. When a CSI walks on the crime scene, he cannot walk in there with any preconceived notions about how he thinks the crime went down. He must let the evidence tell him what happened. The problem is we try to tell the Bible what happened rather than the Bible tell us what happened. We read the Bible and say, well, mama said this, and so I must begin to validate what mama said in the Bible. No, you must begin to let the Bible validate who you are as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't say what mama said, say what Jesus said. And so evidence, the fundamental proof that we're talking about, all evidence starts with the word of God. Scripture, the evidence, will interpret itself by the use of other scripture. You don't have to interpret the Bible. The Bible will interpret itself. We're going to do that this morning. I'm gonna, I had four scriptures pulled out, but by the time I got done with the first one and my message was four pages long, I said, well, we may ought to just wait on the other three to try and go through them. And so the Bible will interpret itself by other scripture. And you must begin to read the Bible in that manner. And so when a CSI walks on the crime scene, he lets the evidence lead him to other evidence, not begin to say, oh, this is the evidence, so I'm going to make my whole agenda out of this one thing. We have so many people who make agendas out of one scripture rather than finding what the fullness of the scripture is by letting the Bible interpret itself. And then the Bible, the scene, listen, this is awesome, will solidify the authority of God's rhema word in you by the physical evidence of his written word in you. So God will solidify what he has done in your life by his written word because you got a rhema word. Let me explain what happens. When you got born again, it was not a physical word. It was a rhema word that made you born again, a revealed word. God revealed his great love to you. You asked for forgiveness of sins. You declared that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you said, I'm going to follow him all the days of my life or something similar. Amen? And so you had a a rhema word that is now solidified by the logos or written word. And so as a CSI, as he can come up with the theory about what happened, it is solidified by the physical evidence that is there. And so in your life, the physical evidence of of the word of God will solidify the spiritual revelation that you get. Now the word of God must solidify the spiritual revelation that you get, or you must begin to ask, who is this revealed to me by? (laughs) 
Because some of you are getting words that are from a spirit, but it may not necessarily be God's spirit. Come on. Some of y'all struggling in your marriage relationship, and somebody walks by who looks good. And you say, oh, I wonder what life would be like with them. That's not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Come on. Everybody say, give me an amen on that. That's good. But some of you have enticed those thoughts. And so in this, you must let the word of God solidify the rhema word. And if the rhema word doesn't line up with the written word, you need to get a new rhema. <laughs> because it wasn't a rhema word. It was a ruined word. A ruined word means it's trying to be planted in your life as a seed of deception to ruin your life. And so you need to get the rhema words that you get, like I said in the first week, are just the beginning. It's just the inspiration. But it must be solidified by the logos or written word of God so you can begin to develop a case or evidence in your life. And now, those are the three points that we're going to bring everything through this morning. And so the very nature of what appears to be obvious on a crime scene should trigger a thought process in every CSI. So the very nature of what seems obvious to us in the Word of God should trigger that thought process as we go through the Word of God. Step one, step two, and step three that you just wrote down. Say, I wrote it down. <laughs> Pull it up tomorrow on the blog. It'll be on the blog tomorrow, okay? It'll be physical evidence is the title, and you can just have all my notes. Don't let that stop you from keeping you taking notes, okay? You need to continue to write this down. But so as we come on the scene of God's Word, we must begin to process all of God's Word like this. Evidence, fundamental proof, it all starts with the Word of God. So I must begin to take out my East Texas Western cultured thinking. <laughs> Come on. Take it out and begin to think Jesus-style thinking. Scripture will interpret itself by the use of other scriptures. So if I don't understand something, I need to look up more scripture on this scripture so the scripture can tell me what the scripture is saying about the scripture. Not what Mama said about the scripture. <laughs> Not what I think about the scripture. Not what Google said about the scripture. Not even what good websites say about the scripture. Now, great people and great influences are awesome in your life, and a lot of times they do great, but you need to get in and get this evidence for yourself so you truly believe it. And then thirdly, the Bible, the scene, will solidify the authority of God's rhema word in your life by the logos word that's in your life. And so um, remember when we talked on the first week as we approached the scene, how should you study the Bible? You should study the Bible strategically. You should study it precisely, methodically, and comprehensively as possible strategically not with an agenda strategically means finding the evidence of what jesus is really saying or what was really going on strategically doesn't mean the bible supporting your cause but you're willing to change your cause to support the bible amen come on some of y'all should have got in on that one and so in this we must begin to study the bible strategically not agenda strategically precisely methodically and comprehensively that sounds like a lot of work. It is. But when you get done with true evidence, nobody can talk you out of it. Come on, if you got 52 scriptures of true evidence, one each week of the year, you would be knowing more than most Christians in the world. I would say 99% of most of them. And so you must begin to develop evidence in your life of who God is. And so when we read the word of God, it should trigger that thought process. And now we're going to talk about simply what they talked about on the video this morning. Uh, a singular bullet or a singular gun casing, uh, uh, the shell of a bullet, solved the whole crime that they were needing to solve. And so today we're going to pull out a singular bullet, I'll say, out of the word of God. And we're going to find the evidence that it proves that Jesus Christ is exactly who he says that he is. Can I get an amen? amen? 
I mean, you're going to leave here more equipped than ever before. You're going to leave here acting like you have got a PhD in something. I don't know what it is. But you will know more about this morning about the Bible than you've learned in the past 20 years if you'll go through these steps. I promise you on this. Some of you are saying that's a big claim. I serve a big God. Amen? And so evidence is more than what it seems. One scripture is way more than what it seems. You must begin to understand that one scripture is way more than what it seems because if the first prophecy in Genesis was about Jesus who didn't show up till years and years later and the last prophecy in the book of Revelation is about Jesus that is still coming and coming to pass, that means everything has got to be kind of intertwined somewhere in between. And it all comes to a central point called Christ. And we've already talked about that. Pick up the last couple of weeks' messages. And so the gun casing we're going to deal with today is this. It's Mark 1.11. And it says, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. That's what Jesus is talking about, Jesus. Mark 1, and I chose the most boring account of the baptism of the Holy Spirit on Jesus Christ out of all the Gospels. Because <laughs> I wanted to make this good. I didn't choose the great ones out of Luke and Matthew and all the awesome. This is what it says in Mark. You are my son, whom I love, who I am well pleased with. And everybody's like, wow, that's a great verse. That verse is a singular bullet casing that will prove exactly who Jesus Christ declared he is. And who he is in your life today. And so in this evidence remember the first point fundamental proof all evidence starts with the word of god it must start with god's word and not our thoughts on god's word remember last week when we found out the startling level revelation that faith like a child is not in the bible <laughs> right some of y'all left mad you couldn't be mad at me because i told you the truth <laughs> you, you couldn't be mad at your parents because you know you should have studied the bible yourself you're just mad <laughs> i can't believe i just didn't know that <laughs> So in this, I want you to begin to understand that all evidence, it starts with the word of God, not our thoughts or interpretations of the word of God. So if we're saying we're going to use the verse, Mark chapter number one, verse number 11, where does Mark chapter one, verse number 11 fit in? Well, first of all, it fits into chapter one, right? So you must read all of chapter one. Then it fits into the gospel of Mark. Then it fits into the synoptic gospels, the three that are alike. Then it fits into the New Testament, and then it fits into the Bible as a whole as a brief rundown. So we've got to study this from a comprehensive, that it's the one that leads to the other that leads to the other, because if you're going to find the truth of the case that you're in, the one little bullet casing is not all the evidence, it's one piece that opens the door to all the evidence. So this one singular bullet casing of Mark 1.11 opens the door to all the evidence, but we must start somewhere, so let's start, just narrow it down to the gospel of Mark. What do we know about the gospel of Mark? The theme of the gospel of Mark is Christ is a servant. Christ is a servant, and y'all are already saying, that's boring, see? You're already not letting the evidence uh, uh, prove itself out because you've already said him being a servant was boring. I like Matthew where he's king, coming king, the kingdom of God. I like the gospel of John where it's talking from God's perspective, the deity perspective, where God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Amen. He didn't send him into the world to condemn it, but to save it. Thank you, God. Praise Jesus. But Mark sent him as a servant. So you've got to begin to understand where Mark's coming from if we're going to get the fullness of the evidence of this case. And so he's written from the point of a servant. And the, the, the key verse 
of Mark, you must find that out for Mark 1.11 to make sense. The key verse in all the gospel of Mark is Mark 10.45, and it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and here it is, to give his life as a ransom for many. Remember the motive of the whole Bible? It's redemption. So now you know Mark fits into the scene of the whole Bible, and we're at a particular place on the scene called the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus came in as a servant, and the whole purpose of this servant was to give his life as a ransom for many. All right, we're starting to get somewhere. We're starting to find out why Mark was actually written. And so in the, uh, the, the Gospel of Mark, there's a key word that's used over 40 times, and this word that's used over 40 times is used more in the Gospel of Mark than the New Testament combined. And that word is immediately or straightway. Well, why is that important? Because Mark is writing to the Romans. Romans, over 50% of the nation, uh, uh, factually, most speculate 75% of the nation were slaves and in bondage. And slaves were not asked if they had an opinion. They were told to go to do something. And when they were told to go do something, they were supposed to do it when? Immediately. <laughs> See, when God asks you to do something, delayed obedience is disobedience. When God wants you to do something, he means immediately. In your life, begin to act on the word of God. And so now that we're in the gospel of Mark, don't, 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 bail, don't bail on me now. We're in the gospel of Mark, and it's a servanthood written gospel. The terms immediately and straightway are used, which is a little bit more exciting. Hey, we found out that the main verse in the gospel of Mark is this, that the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Hey, that includes me, so now I'm in this gospel. <laughs> Come on now, you're in the gospel. That ought to get you excited. He gave his life as a ransom for many. If you're born again, that was you. And as we found out it's written to the Romans, those were all slave people. Some of the facts about Mark, it's more biographical than theological. Some of y'all need to shout amen because you can study biographical, theological, you're, you already freak out. <laughs> Come on. So it's more biographical than theological. Mark focuses on what Jesus did well, the Gospel of Matthew focuses on what Jesus said. See, the Gospel of Mark is a Gospel of power and doing. See, all you doers out there that are like me, this is why you like Mark. Because <laughs> you like to do stuff. Some of you guys who like theological, you like Matthew. You like what Jesus said. I like what Jesus did. <laughs> I like reading the miracles that Jesus did. I like it when he laid his hands on the sick and they recovered. I like it when he put his hand on a coffin and a kid popped up. Jesus ruined every funeral he ever went to. Come on. I like the dids of Jesus. That's why I like the gospel of Mark in my life. It's more biographical than theological. It is considered the gospel of activity and power. Ooh, see, some, we got two amens. This gospel is considered the gospel of activity and power. So if you are a person like me, you got the Mary people and the Martha people. I'm the one who Jesus would have said, she's chosen the better. You need to come and sit down, not keep doing so much. It takes more faith for me to sit than to do. Come on. Because <laughs> I'm an active type person. I, I, I'm active in what I do. And so it's the gospel of activity. It's the gospel of power where Jesus showed up. See, because slaves, the Roman culture who he's writing to, they weren't concerned with theology because they weren't a Jew. They weren't concerned with education of Luke because they weren't a Greek and they weren't educated and they weren't culture. But they knew how to do some stuff. They knew that if they were going to reach the Romans, it needed to be a gospel of activity and a gospel of a power, a gospel that accomplished something as they moved forward. And so in this, I got like two more pages on the gospel of Mark that I'm going to skip. <laughs> It'll be on the blog, kind of like the other day when I showed you guys my, my, my other message. And, if you, and, 
And so like I'm like right here, and so I'm going to skip all this, and I'm going to go all the way down to here. And so you need to go pick this up, and you need to read all about the gospel of Mark, because if we're picking on Mark uh, 1, verse 11, and that's our bullet casing, and it's encompassed in the gospel of Mark, and the gospel's encompassed, uh, gospel of Mark is encompassed in the synoptic gospels, which is encompassed in the New Testament, which is encompassed in the Bible, which is our complete scene, you need to understand how the gospel of Mark fits to get your evidence where it needs to be. And so in this process, we're going to watch God do something awesome and amazing. And now, point number one is this. This is what, this is what we got to be, begin to remember in point number one. As we jump into this, it says, it all starts with God's word, not our thoughts on God's word. Evidence is the fundamental proof. All evidence is the starting of God's word. Number two is this. The Bible, the scene, or I'm sorry, number two is this. The scripture, the evidence will interpret itself by the use of other scripture. Now, this is where it gets fun. Some of you have kind of been bored up to this point. And, and I can see it on your faces. But if I don't lay a good foundational of evidence, when I get to the end, you're saying, well, he just pulled that out of thin air. And I'm going to prove to you I didn't pull anything out of thin air. I'm going to build it up for you. I'm going to lay a foundation for you that you can build on and that you can go to. There is something in the Jewish culture that they would do. And we do it in America, but it's a little bit different. In the Jewish culture, the rabbis, which Jesus was, and he was more than a rabbi, he was a rabbi Shemaha, but I can't go into all that this morning. Study that on your own. He was one of the upper echelon rabbis. The rabbis would do something which would cause interaction with people, and they would do something. They would start quoting a verse of Scripture, then stop. And the people would quote the rest of it, kind of like we would say, God is good, and all the time. Uh, that's what they would do, but they would do it with scripture and they'd make it biblical, amen? And that, now that, that God is good isn't biblical, but prove it out, get evidence, bring it there. And so in this, the rabbis would quote half of the scripture and knowing the education level of all the people that they were talking to, the whole population of the Jewish race or the Hebrew race, the boys by the age of 12 had the first five books of the Bible memorized. The girls by the age of 12 had Psalms and most of Proverbs memorized. As the boys went to secondary education, they had the first five books of the Bible memorized and the prophets memorized. And so when Jesus would say, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, they would automatically know the fullness of where he was going in his scripture. So he didn't have to expound on everything. Another thing that they would do is they would grab a scripture combine it with another scripture in a different location and combine it with another scripture in a different location to get a valid point across of what they were trying to prove or what they were trying to teach. And so in this verse of scripture that we got here, the bullet casing, Mark 1.11, and it says, a voice from heaven came, and this is what it says, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Let's break that down. The very first part, you are my son. You are my son is a quote. It's from Psalm chapter 2 where he said, He said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. So listen, when the voice of heaven came down and said, You are my son, whom I love and am well pleased with, basically everybody of the Hebrew nation would know, You are my son, today I have become your father. But God didn't stop there. The voice from heaven didn't stop there. He said, You are my son. <laughs> then he combines another scripture with, saying, you are my son, they automatically knew uh, the, the rest of it. So they added another part of the scripture. It says, you are my son, whom I love. Oh, Lord, this gets every Jewish person in the world excited. This next verse. Because whom I love, when they heard the voice of heaven say, whom I love, it took them back to Genesis 22, verse 2, and it said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Huh. 
Oh, this is when he was sacrificing him on the mountain. Take your son Isaac, your only son, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. So when he said, you are my son, today I have become your father resignated. When he said, whom you love, it automatically brought them back to their covenant with Abraham. It says, take your, take your son, your only son, whom you love. Take him up on a mountain that I'm going to show you where you will sacrifice him to me there. That brought great depth in thinking, oh Lord, who is this man coming up out of the water that God would quote the father of our faith? And listen, I don't care what you hear in the secular world today, we didn't start the faith movement. Abraham started the faith movement, amen? Come on. And so when he said, whom I love, it brought them back to the father of their faith. And it brought them back to the ultimate sacrifice that he was going to make, not just a son, but his only son. Oh, come on. And so you have, you are my son. Today I have become your father, whom I love. Take your son, your only son, that you would not spare, but you will sacrifice. And then they saw the ram in the thicket representing Jesus, amen? Caught by the horns, which represents power, amen? Oh, come on, I could go off for days on this. I'm just trying to build evidence here. It says, today you, you are my son, whom I love. And then it says, with you I am well pleased with. This comes out of the great prophet of Israel, Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. It says, here is my servant whom I've upheld, my chosen one in whom I delight or am well pleased with. I will put my spirit upon him and he will bring justice to the nations. (laughs) Come on now. I'm telling you, if you're going to compile evidence about a case for Jesus Christ, it wasn't just a voice from heaven coming down. It was a voice from heaven coming down, quoting the greatest king ever, quoting the, quoting the father of their faith, quoting their greatest prophet that says, today you are my son and I have become your father. Take your son, your only son whom you love, and sacrifice him on the mountain that I'm going to show you. But in essence, I'm going to pour my spirit out upon him and he'll bring justice to the nations. Come on now. Woo. That's good. I don't care who you are. I'm excited. I've done preaching myself. I could go home right now. I've done preaching myself happy. I mean, that's good. I get more excited every time I go over that in my head. Y'all should have saw me prepping this message. It was like, whoo, amazing what God can show you. And so scripture will interpret itself with other scripture. The Jewish people knew this because they were so well versed in the scripture that when the voice from heaven came, not even Jesus said, a voice from heaven came, you are my son. Boom, they heard God speaking. Through the king David, I have become your father, whom I love. They knew a sacrifice was fixing to have to be made. They didn't know which Passover it was going to happen on, one, two, or three, and it happened on the third. But it happened. But I will, he is the one I delight in. I will put my spirit upon him. That's unheard of. They're still operating, what we don't understand is they're still operating in Old Testament. The New Testament really doesn't start till Acts, all right? Because uh, the covenant had to be started at the death, not the birth, okay? So how we canonize the Bible is just a little off, not critiquing them, I'm just saying. And he was going to pour his spirit out. But now here's the vital part. If this evidence that we have 
We've got the foundation of where the piece, the bullet, fits into the scene as a whole. We've got the evidence of now this piece of evidence is interpreted by the other evidence. We've got the evidence of, of Genesis. We've got the evidence of the psalmist. We've got the evidence of the prophets that are all bringing us back to this bullet case. How does it do this last point that we're talking about? The Bible, the scene, will solidify God's authority in his rhema word by his written and logos word. How does this begin to happen? I want you to begin to put yourself in the scene. Put yourself over by the river where Jesus is being baptized. And you got crowds of people around. Go ahead and just everybody close your eyes. Get, let's get imaginative here. I know we're not told to use our imagination much, especially in church, but close your eyes. Get your imagination happening here. Man, you are at a river, and all of a sudden you hear a great commotion of people moving and crowds coming, and you hear the rushing of the water, and you look over, and John the Baptist is baptizing several in the water, and this man walks up. And everybody begins to split. The crowd begins to split and he steps into the water and he says, baptize me. And John the Baptist says, I cannot baptize you. I'm not even worthy to carry your sandals. And he said, you must do this to fulfill all righteousness. And now we're at the point Jesus goes underwater and now Jesus is coming back up. Imagine this with me. He's coming back up out of the water and a voice from heaven opens up, not from any man. A voice from heaven opens up. Witness one, a voice from heaven opens up and it says, you are my son. And every Hebrew person heard the voice of King David says, you are my son whom I love. And then it says, you are my son and today I have become your father. And then they heard whom I love. And they heard the voice of their father, the father Abraham shouting out, this is my son, my only son. And God says, sacrifice him. And he began to sacrifice him. And then you heard the voice of the great prophet Isaiah. When it says, the one who I am well pleased with, this is the same prophet that says, in the year Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated high on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. Above him were seraphim, each, six, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces and their feet, and they were flying, calling, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That prophet begins to speak and says, I delight in this man. And so as Jesus comes out of the water, all that happens. And if that wasn't enough to hear the audible voice from heaven, to hear the voice of the three witnesses, the father of their faith, the greatest king that ever lived, and the prophet of their time, God sent a physical evidence of a dove resting and lighting on him. And the Bible says everything should be confirmed by the mouth of two or three witnesses. He didn't just give his mouth. He gave the mouth of their father of their faith, of the king of the greatest king of their all times, of the greatest prophet of all times, and then gave them a physical witness. So God didn't give three witnesses he gave five witnesses to jesus rising up being the son of god the king of kings and the lord of lords can i get an amen, amen. you want to know how to develop a case for god start reading the bible like that brings a little bit more insight you are my son whom i love and i am well pleased with because before you thought of a father patting a little blonde-headed, blue-eyed boy on the head saying, this is my boy who am I love and I am well pleased with. But now you understand it's the voice of the prophets, the voice of the kings, the voice of the father of their faith, the voice of heaven itself, and the tangible witness of the spirit of God himself coming down on the son. And you realize at this point, the Trinity, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit are in one place at one time, in one accord, for one purpose. And that's the redemptive purpose of Jesus Christ for you and for me, which goes back to Matthew or Mark chapter 10 verse 45 that he gave his life as a ransom for many come on i told you i was supposed to unpack some stuff some of y'all are shaking your heads like oh lord god what did we just hear 
you heard evidence of how Christ is real. Of how he is alive. Of how he's not a fluke in the history of time. How he is all powerful king of kings. Confirmed by the first book of the Bible. Confirmed by the greatest king that ever lived in the Jewish nation. Confirmed by the greatest prophet that ever lived in their nation. Confirmed by God himself. Sealed with the power of the Holy Spirit as he came up out of the water. And this is factual. You can go to history and see it recorded. This is what God wants in you. And your Christ-seen investigation. Don't settle for, oh, he's my son whom I love and I'm well pleased with. (laughs) Don't settle for that. There's something way more. There's something way more. And what God wants this morning in your life, oh, it is so profound. It's this. As we just had the five witnesses, not the three. And then you got all the physical witnesses that were actually there, so it's way more than five, but the witnesses. I love this. Hebrews 3, 7 and 8. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, oh gosh, come on. Today. It it didn't say, if you're studying the Bible in times past or in times future, it says, so as the Spirit of God says, the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. Why would God end with that? Because the only thing that stops the power of God from moving in your life is a hardened heart. The only thing that's blocking God from doing something amazing, from revealing to you all that we just talked about and the power of His kingdom, is a hardened heart. And you may have church hurt, you may have family hurt, you may have marriage hurt, you may have kid hurt, you may have adult hurt, you may have addiction hurt, you may have, but don't harden your hearts today. Some of you have said, I've been to several church services, Pastor, and God hadn't touched me yet. Well, today it just said. (laughs) You've hardened your heart before you came in and said, I've been here in the past and it hadn't happened yet. Well, today is a new day. We just showed you physical evidence of Christ in the Bible and Christ in this earth. God wants to show you physical evidence of him in your life. I believe God can erase scars that are physically on your body just as he can emotionally and spiritually in your life. He wants to create something in you and i got a great message that i'm going to end this series i'm going to give you a a a cue in on and it's not for five weeks so remember it you're more than a witness you're way more than a witness god's something done something in you you're more than called to testify you're called to be on the platform as evidence